Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Labour has never done well in a UK election without doing really well in Scotland. We need deposit ATMs and we need withdrawal ATMs and we need a law that means that businesses have to accept cash. UK workers have had the most bargaining power essentially since the 1970s because the jobs market is so tight. Can Britain actually afford to maintain a global military presence? You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepker. Welcome to the programme. Now, we'll get on to the serious matters in a moment, but firstly, we have to talk about the weather. It's going to get freezing uh, in London towards the end of uh, the week. Parts of Scotland and the northeast of England could experience some snow. Got wintry showers coming, according to the Met Office. So all that kind of balmy September, October, it's gone. And this, of course, the week of COP28. So it's the climate change gathering in Dubai. Wait, I thought this was the big freezer. We're not already, we're not already in we're it. We're in it, yes. It's already quite it. cold. Yeah, it is quite cold and it's going to get worse. And Berlin, minus four and a half degrees. Helsinki, I mean, it's usually cold there, but won't get above minus eight today. But it's another winter where energy costs are going to be in focus. Mm. It's going to start to kick in this week, you know. Yeah, I noticed the wholesale electricity prices are, are higher this week than they were last week. Could well be to do with the weather. It's interesting because you compare a year ago, of course, we were talking about energy crisis mm. constantly, weren't yeah. we? And, and people are talking about that much less this year. Although electricity prices for the consumer are broadly the same as last year. So, so it's, it's still very painful. expensive. It's a second winter of painful, painful prices when it comes to heating your home and, and other things reliant on energy. Well, speaking of last winter, it's now just over a year since the Bank of England was forced to step in and pick up the pieces after Prime Minister Liz Truss's mini-budget caused chaos in the markets. And now a House of Lords committee is calling for the Bank of England to be reviewed every five years after what it sees as a series of errors. That's their word. Now, you might remember during her Tory leadership campaign, Liz Truss wanted to give ministers the power to overturn some financial regulators' decisions. Her plans to review the BOE's mandate was a cause for concern, not least from Governor Andrew Bailey, who stressed a need for independence in the central bank in a letter to the Treasury Committee last year. But did Liz Truss have a point all along? Well, I think that this is pretty questionable. I mean, we've seen a loss of public confidence in the Bank of England. Yes, um, Bloomberg has reported on this Ipsos poll that says uh, 21% of people are uh, satisfied with the performance of the central bank. 34 are dissatisfied. I think that's a really terrible measure um, you know, to look at the Bank of England or lens through which to look at the Bank of England, obviously because they've raised interest rates. The public out there are not going to love uh, interest rates, even if it is the right economic um, you know, p- policy to have. So, look, in a moment, we're going to be speaking actually to the chair of the committee who has done a bit of in depth um, analysis and reporting in the committee that is calling for this five year review into, into the Bank of England. They want to sort of talk about things like pruning the Bank of England's remit, that it's become too stretched, and they want more of a culture that challenges decision making, you know, in the hopes of getting better decision making. But as we said, a lot of central banks have have faced criticism because they perhaps didn't see inflation coming as it did. 
Yeah, perhaps a little bit of a misfortune of timing. But first, we're going to bring you some of Bloomberg's exclusive interview with the Prime Minister. Rishi Sunak has told us he's not focused on an election right now. Maybe that's understandable given Labour's 20-point lead in the polls. Fresh from the autumn statement, the Prime Minister says he'll keep prioritising cutting taxes over spending more on public services. Yesterday, Rishi Sunak sat down with Bloomberg TV's Francine Lacroix ahead of the government's Global Investment Summit, which is taking place at Hampton Court Palace with some of the leaders in the world of finance. And Francine asked him about his plans for, well, tax cuts, tackling small boats and the issue of anti-Semitism. The Prime Minister started off by highlighting the UK's economy and its potential for growth. The story of the UK is an economy that has got real momentum. So I've been Prime Minister for just over a year. During that time, we've halved inflation, as I said we would do. We've known now that the UK economy has recovered faster from the pandemic than pretty much any other major European economy. And over the long term, we're still forecast to outperform major European economies. Um, But crucially, business investment has grown faster than any other G7 economy over the last few years. And I think ultimately, if you want to drive growth and productivity in an economy, you need businesses to be investing, we have more momentum for business investment here than anywhere else. So look, I I feel actually very positive about the long-term growth outlook for the UK. But Prime Minister, if you look at inflation, if you actually exclude energy, it's about, you know, been uh, down by like a fifth. So I don't know how much credit the government can actually take on that. Well, actually, if you look at core inflation, it's uh, pretty much middle of the pack for European economies uh, forecast next year to be lower than the eurozone. And I think in the US, the last numbers I checked. So actually, the momentum on inflation is downwards and coming down faster than peers over the course of the next 12 months, if you look at the forecast. Um, and we're making sure that we are disciplined with borrowing, like ultimately what investors are looking at to make sure that fiscal policy is sensible. We're not fueling the inflationary fire. We're being sensible on public sector wage settlements. Uh, and actually, you're seeing that feed through to the economy. And as I said, we're also improving labour supply. If I talk to businesses, you know, what they're keen to see is access to labour. We're making sure right. that our labour market uh, remains flexible, that we're moving people off welfare and into work. Uh, all of those things are contributing to, I think, downward momentum on inflation. So are you comfortable as, as, you know, possibly being prime minister of austerity? No, that's simply not the case. Actually, government spending in the UK right now is at very high levels. Historically, over this parliament, it's grown at very high levels, even in real terms after the impact of inflation. So I think any commentary or accusation that that's what's happening is just simply unfounded. And we're at a point now, given how people are feeling, given the amount that's being spent, where I think the priority has got to be lowering the tax burden. Right? Government's already spending a lot of people's money. And what we need to see going forward is more productivity out of the public sector. It needs to match what we've seen in the private sector post-COVID. And I'd rather focus on efficiency in the public sector and prioritise cutting people's taxes rather than the government spending ever more of their money. That's the point, I think. And I'm very clear that that is the choice that we are making. And you know, I, I meant that when I said, look, after we got inflation down, I wanted to focus on making sure that we reward people's hard work, making sure that we grow the economy. And responsibly cutting taxes. And, you know, when when we can do more, we will, because that's the direction of travel here now. Uh, Prime Minister, is a Rwanda flight taking off before the election actually critical to your message to voters, or will bringing down the immigration numbers be enough? Well, I think the British people's priority is to stop the boats, to stop illegal migration. That's why at the beginning of this year, when I set out five key priorities I had, one of them was to deliver on that. And I'm really pleased that 
since I said that, we've managed to cut the numbers by a third. Uh, now, you know, when I got this job, they had gone up and up and up. They'd actually quadrupled in the past few years. But for the first time, they're now coming down. And not down by a little, down by a lot, down by a third, when in the rest of Europe, they're going up. So we're making progress. But I do want to deliver on our Rwanda plan, because that's how we'll finish the job. And we're going to do everything that I deem necessary to make that happen. So when, Prime Minister, will you publish a treaty and bill on Rwanda? And will the bill actually contain this notwithstanding clause so you can ignore or future legal judgments? No, I, you know, what I've been very clear on is that we will address all the concerns that the courts have raised about Rwanda. I would you know, gently point out that the United Nations themselves have used Rwanda for migrant resettlement schemes in the past. Uh, and we've worked with the Rwandan government yeah. to put in place a treaty which will reassure everyone and address all the concerns that have been raised. And then Parliament will be given the opportunity to scrutinize that and also demonstrate that it believes that Rwanda is safe. How will you decide when you call an election? Is there a trigger point? Are you looking at a certain I mean, number I, I, of I, something? I, I, I really, I'm not focused on elections. I'm really just focused on delivering on the things that I said I would do for the British people. Uh, Prime Minister, you've also taken a, a hard line, of course, on rising anti-Semitism mm. in the UK. The White House has denounced Elon Musk for what happened on X in the last couple of days. Do you do the same? Yeah, look, I, I don't tend to get in the business of scrutinizing what every single person says who I've interacted with, of course I abhor anti-Semitism. And as you said, we've been unequivocal from the start uh, of this situation that that is not acceptable in our society. And we've been very firm about that. I've personally been very firm about that. It's very sad. It, it, it doesn't matter whether you're Elon Musk or you're someone on the street who's shouting abuse at someone who happens to be walking past you. That's wrong in all its forms. Anti-Semitism in all its forms is completely and utterly wrong. And we have strong laws in place here to tackle racial hatred. People are inciting it. Some of the scenes we've seen have been unacceptable. And the police know that they should be using the full force of their powers to bring those people uh, to justice. That's what we've been very clear about. And that's what we will continue to do. And we've made sure that the Jewish community gets extra funds here to ensure their safety and security and we will continue to do that. So that was the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak there speaking to Bloomberg's Farsi Nalakwa making clear his priority is lowering the tax burden even at the expense of public spending. He was very clear though that he doesn't want to accept that that means a return to austerity. He said that that accusation was quote completely unfounded. We're joined by Bloomberg's UK government reporter Joe Mays now for more on this exclusive interview with the Prime Minister. Joe, what are your key takeaways? How um, how difficult a position is the Prime Minister in at the moment? I mean, a lot of tough questions in that interview. Yes, my sense is a Prime Minister who is coming in a combative mood. He knows that the Conservative Party is on the back foot, but that you know he's trying to present a positive picture of the British economy being... Uh, quite a force at the moment. He was talking about how much momentum it has. He was talking up the country in the context of the investment summit. But then coming under pressure with the questioning around, you know, small boats crossings, what's he doing about that? And will he get his Rwanda plan through? Also questions about the potential austerity that his government is going to oversee. That was baked into the spending plans that Jeremy Hunt announced uh, last week. So plenty of pressure he's under, but still kind of putting very much a brave face on it and, 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 and in a positive mood. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that austerity question. Of course, Sunak very keen to stress the tax cuts which are coming, but not so keen to talk about the other side of the equation, which is a very tight public spending settlement. Interesting that he was he was very keen to push back on that word austerity, wasn't he? 
Yes, he he immediately pushed back on it and said, this is not a government that has or is overseeing austerity now. He talked about the high levels of government spending that have occurred. But he kind of, he, he at this in the same breath, said, but yes, we are still committed to efficiency in public spend, spending. That's what, the word he used, efficiency, so that they can fund tax cuts. But for many, that efficiency is simply a euphemism for, you know, reducing departmental budgets. And that is therefore about of austerity that is to come. So it's a bit of a language game coming there from Sunak. But as you say, there is that negative association with that words uh, for the Conservative Party and do not trying to avoid it. Um, and yeah, uh, that, that, that was his response. Yeah, cognizant of just uh, what a loaded term that is and, um, you know, how, how damaging people felt that that period was, um, you know, to individual living standards and, and so much else. Um, having said that, as you say, trying to put a brave face on it and this global investment summit that the Prime Minister is hosting at Hampton Court Palace, I mean, he's trying to talk up the long-term growth press prospects for the UK and talking about the kind of important people who are coming to Britain to put money into the UK. I mean, that's that's really crucial to getting growth up, isn't it? Uh, yes, very much so. And I think that the OBR in their forecast last week downgraded the UK's growth forecast. And that's in part because of the effects of interest rates being higher for longer and the suppression effect that will have on the economy. So Rishi Sunak does need that foreign direct investment to pick up. You see in our in our story overnight that the UK is towards the bottom of the G7 in terms of the growth table. And if anything, the OBR has been one of the more positive, more optimistic forecasters uh, amongst uh, amongst economists. So there's, there's potential for even further downgrades to that growth forecast. So Rishi Sunak really does need to see proceedings uh, to turn around, especially in the context of the election year as well, uh, could be could be could be quite fraught the kind of economic picture that the UK um, sees in, in the near term future. Francine asked uh, the Prime Minister about the next election, and uh, and Sunak said that he's not thinking about an election uh, right now, but inevitably it, it must be on his mind. What what's the thinking at the moment as uh, to the timing of the election next year? So, yes, last night, Richie Sunak said that he's not thinking about the next election, which seemed like a slightly strange response in that he just presented a fiscal plan that seemed to be very election focused. But nevertheless, I think that the conventional wisdom had been that the Conservatives would probably hold the election in November because that would give Sunak more time in office, allow him to be there to hit his two year anniversary, give the economy time to recover, perhaps win back voters. But now there's increasingly a sense that they might go in the spring. Uh, and that's been fueled by the fact that they bought their national insurance payroll tax cut. Uh, forwards to January, which is sooner than expected, and also the Chancellor's not ruling out holding an early budget. So all those things combined, think, well, maybe the Conservatives are going to plan for a, for a May election, uh, announce more tax cuts in the spring, then hold the election, um, and that would avoid problems such as having another summer of potential small boat crossings. It would mean your activists are out campaigning for you at those local elections in May. Because if you lose some of those councillors, they're not there to campaign for you in November. So all these calculations are up in the air, um, which is not being drawn last night, but yet it's very much an open question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, supposedly it's six weeks of campaigning for a general election, but I mean, I must admit, all the talk is, you know, months and months of discussion about when the general election is going to be and, and how it comes about. I uh, can't really avoid that, surely. I wonder, though, Joe, what you made overall of, of the Prime Minister. I mean, some people have compared him to a CEO, sort of talking about the economy in very CEO terms. What do you think of that? Um, obviously, he made some comments about labour market and that being more flexible and trying to drive down inflation. Um, those are also important, important problems that need to be cracked. Uh, yes, indeed. Richard does have this quite managerial style, doesn't he, of uh, how he... Uh 
uh, how he uh, talks about the economy. I think that, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a pretty fair characterization. He's thinking that big picture terms. He's, he's talking about those, uh, you know, the, the policies they've announced through uh, trying to boost the labor supply, through you know, various measures that have all tried to combine to bring down inflation. He talked about last night being very discipline with public sector wage settlements. He pushed back on the idea that they're fueling inflation with their tax cuts, saying that broadly speaking, we're being disciplined on borrowing, for example. So yeah, that, that CEO mentality, I think, is there. Um, yeah, that, that's a fair characterization. And you mentioned one of his uh, five key pledges, stopping the boats. What's the fallout been like over the last over the last few days over those immigration numbers that we, we got at the end of last week? Uh, quite a strong fallout. And, you know, many Conservative MPs deeply concerned by those net migration figures, seeing it as a betrayal of the 2016 Brexit vote, the 2019 election uh, mandate to, to control immigration. Indeed, for many, control means bring down, not simply replace EU migration with non-EU migration. Uh, so that, that backlash has been strong. And now there's this debate in the party around what to do about it. So, for example, do you do things like increase the salary thresholds for visas? Do you uh, reduce the ability of workers to bring dependents? with them and so on. And there's a bit of a tension at the top of government about how far to go with those measures. There's talk of the Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick uh, considering resigning a Home Office Minister because those measures aren't coming forward fast enough. Sola Bradman, we know, was very much in favour of such measures. So yeah, there is that battle going on at the top and Rishi Sunak has to decide you know, how, how strong is he going to go against, uh, how strong is he going to go on clamping down on, on migration? We'll have to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so sort of going back to the, the main issue of tax cuts, how much more pressure do you think Rishi Sunak is going to be under actually to deliver, along with the Chancellor, more tax cuts uh, next year? You know, there's been such a lot of pushback against the autumn statement. Um, how much more pressure do we think there's going to be ahead of a next general election? Yeah, I think he's going to feel a very strong pressure to cut taxes further. I mean, he's, he's raised expectations so far now that we don't see anything more than at least a 1P cut in income tax uh, in, in the spring budget that the Conservative Party won't be happy. So mm-hmm. I think that that's very likely now, given how the expectations game has been managed. I think the Conservative Party sees it as basically essential that they are trying to cut the you know near 20-point poll gap with Labour. They have to do something bold to win back voters. And I think that a tax cut of that that type would would be very much uh, demanded by the party uh, and strategists. Joe, thanks so much for joining us with your thoughts. That's uh, UK government reporter Joe Mays. Interesting that the Prime Minister seems really comfortable at these kind of investment events, doesn't he? Of course, he is a former uh, investment banker and, uh, you know, the government says one of its key priorities is to get growth going. Whether he can do it uh, in the next year or two. I mean, you can't just kind of rustle up money straight away, can you? So it's, 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 it's a tricky problem for the government. No, absolutely. I mean, it's the boss of BlackRock, the boss of Aviva, of Goldman Sachs um, and so many others. I mean, b- perhaps these are not, I mean, they are uh, household names to anybody who's a regular listener uh, to, to Bloomberg, but probably won't be when it comes to the voting public. I mean, look, on the one hand, it's hugely important, isn't it, to attract investment into Britain. Inwards investment is hugely uh, significant. And we've just had a couple of big Australian pension funds that are talking about investing in the UK, which is great. But again, is it enough? Is it going to turn the picture around in terms of economic growth quickly enough for the UK? That's that's the problem. Yeah, of course, it's big picture stuff, isn't it? And uh, it doesn't directly address the key problems which I think voters uh, want the government to, to be fixing. And those are the day-to-day issues like the cost of living and immigration. And of course, it doesn't really tackle any of that stuff. But of course, the Prime Minister thinks you know it is vitally important over the longer term.
So the House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee wants UK lawmakers to assess the central bank every five years after it says that policymakers made a string of errors on inflation. Members of the committee, including former Governor Mervyn King, are pushing for the bank's powers to be curtailed in a report marking 25 years of its independence. Right now, public trust in the Bank of England is at a record low. According to its own survey, 40% of the public say that central bank policymakers are doing a bad job of handling inflation. Joining us now to discuss this is the chair of the House of Lords Committee, George Bridges. Lord Bridges, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg UK Politics. What were the key uh, failures that you outlined in your report? Well, can I just start by saying thanks, by the way, for having me on. Can I just start by just putting some context around what you have just said? Um, It's absolutely right that we found that the Bank of England had made errors, but I'd make two points. One, taking the 25-year period as a whole, One should see the performance of the bank in that context. And for the vast period of of those years, uh, inflation was within about 1% of target, first point. And that's why we say we're of the strong view that independence should be preserved. When you look at the period 2020-2021, it is true, as I just said, that we found that the bank had made errors. But it's important to note that the Bank of England was not alone. Other central banks made similar errors. We think that there across, is across the uh, global central banking community a risk that there's a lack of diversity of thought. Mm. And as regards the Bank of England, we'd like to see uh, greater efforts made to foster a culture of challenge. And that means looking at, as Ben Bernanke is doing, the forecasting, but going beyond that, and looking at other issues regarding governance, appointments, and hiring. Um, And that's one part of the package we think needs to come in to improve the performance. Also, you mentioned just in your intro uh, that we recommend that the Treasury prunes the bank's remit. Why do we say this? We say this because it risks uh, jeopardizing the bank's focus on its primary objectives and drawing it into a wider policy agenda and therefore uh, greater focus uh, would quite possibly help in improving performance Um, and then the third point is how to improve accountability but it's a it's a package of measures here that hang together uh, to uh, as I say improve improve accountability and performance at the same time. And what would that pruning look like the Bank of England's mandate has expanded pretty dramatically hasn't it over over the last few years how do you think it should be scaled back? Well, that's a very good question. And um, the committee concluded that that is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw the potato into the lap of the Treasury, is the job of the Treasury. Um, why do we say that? Because this is a very important question, uh, but given what the bank is currently being tasked to look at, it is broad. The most often example cited was climate change. Um, but we think that the, the, the Treasury should conduct a review. And then, as we say in the points on accountability, mm. that remit should be brought back to Parliament and there should be an oral statement and a debate. So um, uh, parliamentarians can hold ministers to account for what um, the bank is being charged to do. Yeah. And I, just, just to be clear, we're, we're not saying this because uh, we're saying this because of the evidence that we took. Um, Andrew Bailey himself said that, um, uh, as regards to the secondary objectives, he said, and I quote, it makes policymaking 
more complicated. Um, the chair of the Court of Directors of the bank, David Roberts, um, referring to the PRC, 31 have regards. I have a lot of sympathy with the view that there is a time to stand back, look at it and have a view. And likewise, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go hand back to you, um, George Osborne, um, he said, we do not have to turn these remit letters into Christmas trees where you put all their baubles on them. And Ed Balls uh, said the government yeah. should be clear that tackling climate no, change are... is a matter that the government start expect should not that to expect start expecting the bank to lead on that. That's climate yeah. change. Does not seem to me to make many, much sense. So okay. there is quite a strong body of evidence here to suggest that action needs to be taken. Yeah, that the, perhaps the remit has expanded a little too much. On the other hand, um, key member on the committee, Mervyn King, former governor himself, who actually also did amass quite a lot of power um, as Bank of England governor, you know, after the financial crisis. So it does seem a, also a little bit, and, and King has been quite... Um, forceful in his criticism uh, about the Bank of England and the action that has been taken that the inflation was not taken seriously. I mean, he's spoken to Bloomberg a number of times on this issue. I mean, is there, there is a feeling that the bank has not done as well as perhaps other central banks have done. Again, w- what do you think the Bank of England's failure has been down to? Well, um, uh, I, I, Mervyn can speak for himself and he's very able to do so. Um, the committee, as I said, uh, pinpointed two areas, um, in particular during the 2020-2021 um, uh, period, when, um, as I say, a lack of di- or a perceived lack of diversity of view um, uh, led to the bank being part of team transitory, i.e. all the other central banks uh, assuming that um, inflation was transitory. Within that, uh, we um, took quite a lot of evidence uh, that struck us as interesting as regards um, the disregard for accelerating money supply growth. Um, mm. uh, some some uh, of those witnesses who gave evidence uh, thought that money supply, and I quote, was ignored in a rather foolish fashion. Um, and therefore, we, one of the recommendations we have is that monetary policy, monetary policy reports should include discussion of the main monetary ag- aggregates accompanied by an analysis of their relevance to the bank's inflation outlook and the various scenarios the Monetary Policy Committee considers. So there is that aspect of money supply in particular that we looked at um, uh, as as something that we would like to see addressed. But it is not just that that we're talking about when it's um, diversity of view. It's really the cultural challenge that we're getting at here as well. Lord Bridges, do you think that it matters that the Ipsos poll shows that the public in general, um, you know, doesn't have confidence or doesn't feel that the Bank of England is doing a good job? Does that matter? I mean, it's obvious that people out there in the country will not like it when when the bank hikes interest rates for a couple of years and everybody's mortgage goes up. I mean, is that the basis for judgment? it's it's a great question. The bank, alongside the Treasury, is the most one of the most therefore important economic institutions in this country. Um, it is very very important, given that the decisions cut upon everyone in this country, our our entire economy, that um, uh, not only it has great performance, but also critically that it is held to account by Parliament, and that is the point, and that it is very very important that parliamentarians feel that they are able to uh, hold not just the bank officials to account, which obviously does happen, 
um, but also ministers to account for the remit and the direction of travel. That but they set that the is on. not to say that the public opinion about the Bank of England matters. What matters is MPs holding the bank to account, not... You know, and this is surely the difficulty of, of central banking well, and of understanding complex economic issues. The public have, may have a view, but, but it may or may not be the right one. That, well, I, I, I think um, it, the public often is able to express their views in very clear ways at a general election. And um, I would say, though, taking a step back, obviously these issues are complex, but they are very, very important, goes without saying. So I think it's really important that um, Parliament is able to hold uh, an independent, operationally independent uh, central bank to account. And that really does matter. And clearly, uh, the need to do so rises if public loses confidence in that independent central bank. George Bridges, Lord Bridges, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Ecopolitics. That's the chair of the Lord's Economic Affairs Committee. Well, that's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so that other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode of Bloomberg UK Politics was produced by Tiwa Adebayo and our audio engineer was Marie Ful Hussain. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepke. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.